You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. To remind you, we'll conclude this time with some story sharing. As your mind inevitably wanders, maybe it can wander to a story you can share. So just, you, just, just an idea as you... Uh, because you, you may have had a long day, like Andrea was saying. I don't want to overstate that too much, but if you're like me, your attention span uh, gets demi- even more diminished as possible, you know, because of that. So maybe use it to that end. One of my friends, I'll, I'll give you his name because I'm going to cite his work in a second. Uh, Israel Vasquez, some of you know him. He's part of our, he's part of our uh, church, Circle of Hope. He's a filmmaker, and he's quite an artist in many ways. And I found out that he's also a poet. He wrote this poem that he was, uh, he's gonna share tonight at, at, us, at our congregation on South Broad Street. And I said, would you mind if I shared it too? I really liked it. So I'm gonna recite it for you and then share some more after that. But I was moved by it as he read it to me this morning. Do we have a poem? It's up there so you can track along, but you can just listen too. Though it be a a yearling's hope, through birth pains and meager wages, he came into this world, toes in sand, his mother's hand, rough from labor, lacking ease, raised him well. Despite the spell of wayward king's decree, Father a carpenter taught him what he could. By age of 12, became the teacher. His wisdom gifted from the true Abba, the one father and mother of us all. Before he set out, did he give a shout that all would be well. There was water into wine. Well, I guess you can track with me, Sarah. There was water into wine, healing the beggar who was blind, catching the hand that would throw a stone, letting the child know they would never be alone, providing fish to the fishless, bread to the breadless, water to the thirsty. No sin would inhibit him from loving from that deeper well that calls us to repentance, that speaks of crimson stains, the choices that are lived in vain, the crowds all pushed in to get a closer look, maybe smell his fragrance of sweat and blood and dust, and maybe something holy, maybe something holy, maybe. Doubt is not a sin unless we live within the confines of its prison, never trusting, always hustling to the new thing. So when the crowds turned and he knew they would, it hurt all the same because it's wrote just like we read that Christ was flesh. Yes, like us, he was dressed in all that humanness and when betrayed, he asked his closest friends, will you leave me also? From the upper room and into the garden, Jesus stayed the course. His pain was mounting, trembling, Prescience that he could do without, even prayed, let this bitter cup pass. But the sentence does not end, only hangs for a moment suspended, and then 
but not my will, yours be done. So the betrayer did betray, his friends all slid away, the holy ones condemned. The empire stood ambivalent, or so it thought, until Christ was pierced and hung like a tattered tablecloth with no more perceived use, only to be discarded, forgotten, and even spurned, finally a body laid in a tomb. Was it a jest, a joke, some fool's idea of a prank? Did a thief come and steal the very flesh and bone of one so beloved, for the body was gone? Anyone could see that. The guards were hung for it, but how, how? And then at the threshold stood the radiant answer, Jesus, the risen Christ. He had conquered the grave and stood waiting to be embraced. Some touched his wounds. Others felt their hearts burning within, while most dropped to their knees, reprising the song from the Sunday past, Hosanna in the highest. I liked a lot of the imagery in that poem, so I hope it touched you in one way or another, maybe sparked some thought in you. And I really liked that, uh, like a lot of the art we have together, it came from among us. So we'll have to file it away somewhere. It's hard to wrap your mind around this. The resurrection of Jesus, this, this um, unusual event Nothing really like it. Jesus died on Friday and is alive, is, is alive on Sunday. It's so, it's, it's, it's for the Christian, it's so repetitive. Because we commemorate this every year. We remember it every year. It's part of the whole thing. We have a whole season anticipating it. And it's helpful to talk to children particularly about this. And we have some children among us today. I was talking to a young friend of mine, and she wondered, how could, how, 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 how could it be possible that this happens every year? Because we're really dramatic. We don't say it's figurative, we say it's happening. Like on Saturday, Jesus is dead. That's the space that we hold. She wonders, well, what? He keeps dying and coming back. What's, what's going on? And are we ever gonna, are we ever gonna see him? Like, who are you even talking about, you know? Like, I know he comes back, and then we, go get, we get up really early in the morning when it's still dark out, and we go up to Lemon Hill. Is he going to be there this time? Like, are we going to get to see Jesus? I like, the, I like that uh, innocence, that connection. That sort of simplicity is interesting because I think we all experience it as we go through the Christian calendar, right? It can just become a little, a little route, and so the, uh, the idea that it's not is helpful when it comes from a young person, right? It awakens something in me. You know, the drama of Jesus' death is hard to relive. We remember all the suffering and all of the death so that, so that we can taste the sweetness of resurrection, the conquest of death, the sweetness of life. My friend wondered how this could all be possible and what it meant for us, for her too. I think the disciples that morning thought the same thing, stuck in disbelief, right? John 21, Peter runs back, 
his friend, his rabbi is dead, and he just says, well, I'm just going to go fishing. That's what I, that's what I, that's the thing I do. You know, it was only three years lost. So, okay, I'm going to go back to fishing. Resigned to the fact that he couldn't uh, do anything about it. Denied Jesus, resigned to the fact that um, he couldn't stand up to the authorities, and he let his friend and his rabbi die, not with a lot of courage. There's problems there for the man. But then Jesus sees him and says, the way you give life and love is by feeding the sheep. So I thought I was doing my part and, you know, helping my young friend learn the story about its impact. She's acquainted with death enough to wonder about it. She's experienced some death in her life. You know, family members have died, and she's even been to a funeral and got to see that, too. Um, and she knows things like us. She knows other things about death, too. She actually didn't know the term death until recently. Jesus conquers death. Well, what's death? That's when you die. And she knows, this is really interesting, she knows phones die somehow. So that, that was, that, that's just a special thing to remember. Like, that's the language we use, right? She knows that. And she, I guess she knows they resurrect too in some weird way, which is really not like, okay, cyborg human is not like the, the lived resurrection, I think. So I don't want, don't go all the way over there. Um, you know, she knows bugs die. She probably killed a few bugs in her age. She knows uh, plants die because that's the kind of uh, green thumb we have. She knows that we'll all one day die. And she wonders if when she'll die and when her parents will die and if her parents will die before her, right? So she's developed a lot of thoughts about this. These are all fairly normal. But it's amazing for her that at the moment she can contemplate her own death, she has to consider resurrection. Like, I, I, I've wrapped my mind around this idea, but what does it mean to rise again? And you know how I explained it to her? I used the song we sang. I didn't have another resource. So we went through. I said, you know, hark the herald angels sing? And she knows that, and then she sang that for a while. And then once I ran her back in, I said, well, that guy, Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother, wrote another song. Um, and it, it, uh, Christ the Lord is Risen Today was the song that we sang. And I, I, I walked her through the hymn. I mean, that's the point of some hymns, to, to boil down the theology in a memorable and whimsical way so that you can recall and know the story and love the story just from reciting it. You know it. You don't even have to read it because you know the song, right? And, and, and it, it allowed access for people who couldn't read, right? So there's something good about that, too. Um, and so we were walking through it, and she said, you know, what does it mean that Jesus is extra strong over death? What are you talking about? And what does it mean for me? And so I, I, got, I gave her the line. Finally, he finally gets to it in the fourth verse, which is like Charles Wesley. And he says, uh, made, made like him, like him we rise. Right, that's the, that's the point. What does it mean for you? Jesus comes back. 
and we will too. Right? That's, the, that's the spirit of the resurrection for her. Death isn't the final answer. Life follows. Newness follows. And so she's beginning to grasp the cosmic power of the resurrection, that it really does change everything. And it gives us hope over death. Especially when we're surrounded by so much. Because when, when it's not just about the resurrection in the age to come. It's not just when you come back. It's the idea that things come back. That death is not the final answer. And we see it right now in our lives. And we can be agents in giving life. And bringing things back. It really does change everything. The creation wakes to say it. Is how we sing Charles Wesley's song in Circle of Hope. The creation feels it. The foundations of the earth feel it. It's a universal cosmic event. So how does a young child grasp it? Can a young child grasp it? I think in part at least. And maybe that's good enough for all of us. How do we? You know, I think one way we do it is by telling stories. We're looking for ways that we experience and understand resurrection today. So let's talk about that. Where do you see it? Where do you want to see it? Where are you seeing new life? What's your prayer for the resurrection season? So when we're sharing stories right now, think about it both ways. Maybe not just where you see it now, but where you would like to as well, right? And let's, let's get some dialogue going about that. I want to get you started with a story that my friend told me recently. He told me on Instagram, so that's how I, that's, when you post something on Instagram, I think you're talking to me. Which I think is fine, you know, like I think that's what, it, I think it's that, I mean, whatever. It's not, maybe not the most personal way to communicate something. But I think it's some sort of, I, I feel like, well, he shared it. And he lives in Malibu. And this is what he said. About five months ago, this was all a scorched hellscape. You remember the uh, California fires that were happening? Almost 2,000 structures and close to 100,000 acres burned. I was, he, this is him, I was hobbling around on crutches the days of the fire, and on the rare occasion I got out of the apartment 20-ish miles south, and everything smelled like smoke. For weeks after, every time the wind would blow in Malibu, you'd think there was some sort of campfire going on somewhere. But, but there wasn't. It was just the ash of someone's home or of old trees or things that couldn't get out of the way blowing in the wind. Any slight breeze carried unsettling reminders of the fire. I'd pick my nose out of a book. Or, yeah, that's a funny line, right? <laughs> I was hoping that he was going to get out of that little phrase quickly. But then the page changed, so I left you in suspense. I'd pick, I'd pick up my nose out of a book or, a, or my phone in our library and see the wall of the canyon disfigured in mourning black. The, the burn scars were unavoidable. 
Then, in January, some little shoots started poking through the ash, and little by little, the green overtook the scarred landscape, and the rain washed away some of the ash and, and fed all this new plant growth. And now it looks like this. It's lush and green and bursting with color from, from thousands or millions of wildflowers, and that's a miracle. I see the valley of flowers on a hike weeks ago, and I said, this is Easter. I don't really like to talk theology anymore. I don't know if I could really nail down why, but I couldn't ignore this. There's still some signs of the destruction there for sure. Folks are still missing their homes. Death is inevitable. No matter how much our technological society tries to hide it, it's there. However, this reminds me that death never gets the last word on the matter. There might be still burnt branches sticking and poking through here and there, but it's, it's growing remarkable in its rarity as the resurgent plants have their say. Beauty wins. New life flourishes. I think I've gotten to taste that in my life in bits and pieces before. And at the risk of sounding imperious, I hope you'll get to experience that too. So that was, that's, that's one way when I was... Reflecting today, I got a little taste of, yeah, this is real. This is happening. I see it. Other ways that you've seen it or long for it. Can we talk for 10 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer? Cool. How are you seeing life, resurrection? Where would you like to see it that you're not? Caroline. into the fact that death doesn't win. Um, and she's not there yet, and so, but that is my hope. That's a hope. Thank you, Caroline. Any more? Allie. social work can keep finding rejuvenation and rebirth 
who's a little older, um, who's about Muslim woman. She's a Texan who spent a lot of her adulthood in Yemen, um, and she has grown children. And she found out on Monday that her daughter and two of her grandchildren were killed in a really horrific car crash um, in Morocco, where they live. And she was distraught, of course, and um, has flown to Morocco. And she's been on my mind a lot this week um, as we like walk towards Jesus' death. And I had the weirdest moment yesterday. I was working, and one of my coworkers showed me um, that it, it was such a big deal that it was televised, um, the, the men taking the bodies to the grave sites. Um, and I, so my coworker showed me the video of the father um, holding his daughter, who was wrapped in white cloth, um, and placing her in the grave, and then literally all the men in the community burying the bodies. And I was, of course, thinking about Jesus also in the grave, um, and reading about like Islamic burial practices where relatives wash the body and wrap the body um, in simple cloth, and then the body goes in the ground in Morocco, not typically in a casket. Um, and so that felt really like close to me. Um, and then today I woke up and Nina is still on the ground with her daughters and Jesus is alive. And that's a really complicated emotion. Um, I think I'm just really feeling this like the joy of the resurrection, but also this like not yet-ness of our resurrection. And yeah, that's heavy. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's just a different flavor for this Easter. And When death isn't abstract, and you feel its sting, um, it makes the conversation a little different. You know, Charles Wesley also sings, where, quoting Paul, where, O oh death, is now your sting. Well, you're feeling the sting, right? It's hard to sing that. Um, thanks for showing me. Any more? Yeah. for me to share this, but I felt like this is the time that I needed to. Um, 
just like I've gone through a really like hard like I guess uh, season of suffering with Circle of Hope. Um, like I, I've been a part of this congregation for 15 years or so, and um, it's gone through you know different changes and stuff. The last change with like two congregations coming together like this um, was really hard for me. Um, but I think, I mean, I was already kind of like going through a struggle before and it just kind of like the way that things changed was difficult for me. So I felt like I had to go through, um, I guess a kind of tomb or something like to let the congregation that was die. Um, and I, I still like randomly come to one of these meetings I mostly just help with the kids upstairs or something, but like I needed to kind of like take some time and like let this become like resurrect, re resurrected for me. And uh, like this morning, um, I, I decided I was gonna you know meet up with the bike crew to go to Lemon Hill. Um, something that I've, I've done often and play harmonica and it's fun, you know. But like. Um, I, I went to where I thought the, like I followed the Google map route. I just went to meet up along the route that I saw on the Google map and it didn't come. And then I, um, I, I was like, what, no one's coming, I don't understand. Like I got here what I think is the right time. <laughs> and um, so I just rode forward and just went alone. And like, I guess I was kind of like seeing that like, I have a narrative in my mind, or like I have like a sim symbology that uh, that I can put to things, and this was like um, I need I need to like push myself forward towards the resurrection in a way like um, that it's easy to just be like in the tomb and be dark about it or something. But, um, so yeah, I, I move forward and then. Um, I got there and found out that they had like went off the route a little bit, so that's why I missed it. But um, I could have been more connected to like the people um, to like make sure that I was going the route that they were going and stuff, rather than just like read the email and that's it. But um, it was just a good a good lesson for me, and I feel that like I am in a new place and I can engage here today like I hadn't been able to in a long time. So. Thank you, Dan. So thank you all for your patience with me, too. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. That's a good story to share, I think. You know, it probably speaks to a lot of people. Kristen. I have two questions. Um,
it's kind of like using pressure points to reconnect parts of your brain with parts of your body that it's disconnected from because of uh, trauma or some way of like, like your brain disconnects from certain parts of your body to like try to protect it in some way. I don't really understand it, but it's amazing. It's crazy how it works. So, um, I was kind of feeling like at the end of my rope and uh, really just feeling like frustrated and anxious and not really sure what to do. So I went and saw this um, therapist and uh, she worked with me and was like asking me about some questions of my medical history and things like that and um, asked me if I've been in any car accidents and I said no but I was in a pretty bad bike accident last year and hadn't really thought of it past like I got hit head on by a car um, but I didn't break a bone and I didn't hit my head and I didn't have any giant gashes so I had bruising but once the bruising like healed up and I was like I'm in my 20s I'll be fine and then the next year like couldn't breathe and I didn't at all. Um, so then this woman like identified uh, these issues or whatever and apparently it was, had a lot to do with like my pelvis not being aligned correctly and like ligaments that have to do with that. Um, and I had whiplash and whatever. But she like worked with me for an hour and when I left there I could like breathe like 70% better than when I walking in, I felt like a resurrection in my spirit, like when I was walking in, I was like tearing up, so like, I'm not getting out of breath walking, which I'm an active person, so it felt really like intense to not be able to breathe for that long. So that was amazing, and um, just felt, I feel renewed in my body, um, so I'm feeling that, and then yesterday we got to spend time with Greg's family, and his sister had a baby in November, and has been struggling really intensely with postpartum depression. And I'd heard a little bit about it from his parents, but when we were in their house, I really realized that like, she had these like post-it notes like all over their house, like encouraging herself to like love her baby. And I was like, oh. Um, it was so sad to like think about her experiencing that, like in winter and feeling really isolated alone. It's something that you can't really like fix. You can get help for it, but yeah. So I was, um, talking to her and she feels like she's um, like healed from it and gotten a lot better and so she like loves her baby and like is able to like um, really change with her in the way that she wants to and so then we were talking about like uh, seasons of deep sorrow and joy how you can like um, go to the places where you are in some ways most able to have like good places and connect with the divine like when you're in deep sorrow, there's no other way to like go except for down or through it, you know, and connect with God in that way. So I was praying a lot, so I was like, ah, Jesus Christ, I can't breathe. What the fuck is happening? Sorry. And then she was like, I'm desperately sad that I can't love my baby. What's wrong? You know? Um, and so I feel like this spring we both felt this like renewal of our bodies and minds and spirits that also feel like, thank God for this.
Thank you, Lord, for uh, the promise of new life. Keep showing us where it is and where it isn't. Give us hope that give us the perseverance that it may come. And bring it to us sooner rather than later. We want to see it. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.